Hello and welcome to They Just Get It. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm, and I'm happy to be back. It has been a while, and this will be the first episode we've released, I think, since, oh, I don't even know, way back. And I'm excited, as I've often been accused of being, to be here with my guest, Miss Karen Unland. How are you, Karen? I'm great. How are you? I am fantastic. I have been doing podcasts all day, which is one of my favorite things <laughs> to do. I get to talk to amazing people. And the joke that I overuse is I would do this if no one listened, because I get the privilege of talking to really cool people, often in Alberta, that are doing really interesting things. And you and I met probably, I would say, almost a year and a bit ago, actually, if I remember yeah. correctly. Because it was you summer, and- but it was, yeah, it was maybe a year and a half ago. Yeah. Yeah, but you're probably right. Yeah, end of July, June, July. You were the person who told me, said, Tyler, if you want to start tracking your podcast, you need to use something like Transistor. And at that point, I was <laughs> I was in that world of podcasting where I was like, downloads over here, downloads over there. And you came in and said, no, no, sage advice, just use this one platform. So thank you very much, if I haven't thanked you before, for getting me onto that because it made our life so much better. Now we actually okay. have an idea of what's going on in the world of our podcast. <laughs> It leads me to the world that you were living in when you and I met, which was the Alberta Podcast Network. So mm-hmm. maybe, I don't know, it might be an interesting place to start because that was, if I believe, if I remember right, that was your brainchild, was it not? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, another one of my crazy ideas that just might work and, right. and it turned out. <laughs> so for anyone who hasn't had the privilege or hasn't had a chance, go check it out. But what was Alberta Podcast Network and kind of what was your inspiration for starting it? And then we'll go back and go forward with our story a little bit here. Sure. So the Alberta Podcast Network is one of my projects to promote the continuation and improvement, I guess, of local independent media. So as you'll hear when we go back in time, it's really important to me that local voices be heard. And we have um, the old ways of doing that are kind of disintegrating because their business models are disintegrating. And so I, what I do, I guess, is invent new ways for that disintegration to kind of stop and, and make it possible for people to, um, to tell the stories of this place and to tell stories from this place. And so the Alberta Podcast Network was a way for, is a way, it still exists, a way for uh, local podcasters to cross-promote each other, make a little bit of money by running ads, even if they don't have a massive number of downloads, which is usually what you need in order to make uh, any money in podcasting. And uh, yeah, just create a community of podcasters in Alberta. And how many how many people are on the, are on are on the network? Uh, it fluctuates, and there's been a fair amount of pod fade during the pandemic, and so pod, um, pod I think- fade. That's a new term. I'm not going <laughs> to write that down. Pod fade. It sounds like a real disease. It sounds like a real thing. <laughs> For sure. Um, but I think there's active right now about 35 podcasts, and there we're going to be uh, recruiting in 2021. Excellent. So pod fade starting. So, you know, it's hard to have any conversation these days without talking about some type of negative or sometimes positive impact of COVID. How many, how many different podcasts did you have on, you know, like just say a year ago today? Oh, like 45 ish. Yeah. Okay. So a little bit of, so definitely attrition. And, and I've also, I've heard some statistics lately and I know it's easy to rhyme off statistics about X amount of percentage of podcasts out there don't have more than 15 episodes. And I heard another one that 60 some percent of podcasts on Apple iTunes only don't have more than five episodes. I don't know your experience around the platform. You know, I love it and I've become a little bit addicted, addicted to it, but you better enjoy it because it is a ton of work. Like plus there's no, there's no way around that. (laughs) 
It is a lot of work, and like I said, it's it's hard to make any money out of at it. It's hard to make it so it doesn't cost you money to do it. So that was part of the reason that I wanted to start the network was because it was um, I could see that somebody doing like a little arts podcast in Edmonton was never going to get enough traffic to make money in the traditional ways, and and like even audience pay is hard hard road to hoe, right? And so um, we just set something up so people could at least make some microphone money or uh, enough money to cover their hosting fees so they could keep going because that's what I want. I want people that are um, doing all that work to <laughs> make a, pod a podcast from, from Alberta to be able to keep going and not only get a little money to do it, but get the encouragement and the validation that someone said, what you're doing is cool and I want it to keep happening. I think there's a lot to be said for what you just dropped at the end. And I, I can last, a, I don't know, probably a month on a good compliment. You put out an episode and someone even gives you positive feedback. goes, hey, I really like that. Or they tell you something back that they heard you say that you don't even remember, but it had yeah. an impact on them. <laughs> like, oh, remember when you said that? And I'm just like, yeah, sure, 100%. I don't remember at all. Um, so, you know, sometimes, sometimes you do. But those little, like that affirmation or confirmation, and it's not even ego. It's just validating that, oh, oh. Oh, there is more than like, there's somebody out there that's actually benefiting from this. Like it can't be underestimated for the power that that can have on you when you're putting in the time. Yeah, I I think that like like we are creatures that are uh, motivated by those little dopamine hits, right? So yes, we are. <laughs> and, and it, yes, that's a whole nother podcast. We could save that for, for another day. Chase, chase the chase chase the chase the highs. How long have you been doing the Alberta podcast? When did you start it? I started that. Uh, well, hmm. That's that's an interesting question, actually. So I started the idea in 2015. I went and okay. workshopped that idea at a in a entrepreneurial journalism uh, program that I got invited to in in New York, and I started working on the idea. Um, I got funding for it from ATB in 2017, and so okay. the the network has existed for for three years. But um, yeah, lots Excellent. has happened. Yeah, that's well. So you're obviously I'm in I'm, I'm and I think I know this to be true. You have a journalism background, correct? Mm -hmm. And yeah. was that your chosen career? Like went to school to be a journalist? Again, very different world even ten years ago. Let alone you know the, if you look at the history of journalism and how it's evolved to to disintegrating. I think the word you use. <laughs> well, yes, and I'm much older than that. So uh, yeah, I didn't want okay. to get specific, Karen. We need to keep this friendly. We need to keep this up. It's early okay. on for me to be like Tyler. Did you just say I was old? Like, I would never say that. Karen. No, no, no. But the chronology is important because you know where I am in in time and and internet time is interesting. So do you want me to tell you the whole story? Like sure, from let, the yes, beginning. Let's, sure. let's take it. But that's the joy of the show. We can go on a journey <laughs> and, and take our audience with us. Uh, okay, so. I decided I wanted to be a journalist when I was 10 in grade four. And I just really aimed my whole life to be, to do that. So I wrote little newspapers for fun. I joined the school newspaper. I was editor in chief of the newspaper at my undergrad at U of A. And I went to journalism school at Carleton and followed the usual steps at that time, which was in the in the 90s to uh, go to journalism school, get an internship, get enough, um, get the, the experience you need to get a job, get a job, 
keep going. So pay, I did pay, that. Pay, pay your dues and then pay them some more and then pay them some more and pay them yeah. some more. <laughs> but at least you get paid to pay yeah, your dues or you did true. at that time, which is not the case maybe anymore. <laughs> we're, 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 we, can, we can colorfully call it the good old days. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's sure. Um, uh, yeah. So I did all those things and I ended up at the Edmonton Journal, which was my hometown paper and worked there for 14 years, started as a reporter, did a whole bunch of different editor jobs, and um, ended up as the uh, the first official digital editor. So this in, okay. in 2007 was a time when the newspaper was finally realizing, ah, the internet is a thing. We should be there more than we are right now. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, that's so I, I ended up in that position, which is a weird position for me because I uh, you know, my first papers at university were written on a typewriter. Like, like right. I'm straddling <laughs> a world uh, here. Um, but I learned fast, and and we did a lot of change management in that newsroom to get people used to writing stuff, um, publishing the news as soon as we knew it, instead of waiting till tomorrow, which actually was mm -hmm. a big mindset change for people well it had been done a certain way for many 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 years correct like this is this oh, yeah. is just the way we do it <laughs> yeah yeah and there's a lot of things that are artifacts of it of you know um mid-20th century uh technology and um and business models that are still kind of have echoes and ghosts in what we do right now but they the, they don't hold anymore as far as um being the way the business is. So uh, it was a really interesting time to be in, in the business. And I kind of got to do like so many different things. And, and I really do love journalism so much. It, it's that's dangerous to love journalism because it doesn't love you back. So <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a one-sided relationship, is what you're saying? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. So, really, quick question: When you got when you became the first digital, uh, sorry, what was your title? You said digital, and I forgot to say my one. digital editor. I guess D yeah. digital editor yeah. was that. Did you put your hand up for that, or did you? Were you the only one who didn't step back when they said who's here? <laughs> No, I, I put my my hand up because I wanted to try a different um, challenge. I'd, I'd done a lot of yeah. different things in the newsroom. I wanted to try something different. I really liked the people who were working on the website, and I thought I could help them do their jobs. And yeah, it just seemed like a, a good idea to, to give that a whirl. Well, no, I appreciate, you know, and I think it's, it's relevant then as it is now, so much rapid change happens to people in careers. And sometimes we bought into a story that like we signed up for this career and this is what it's going to be. But then change happens while we're, while we're there, sometimes hoping it doesn't. So, you know, I liked what you, I heard you say the word change management really clearly. And I, you know, you think about digital transformation, a nice buzzword that's happening that we love to throw around now, but in reality, the digital way of everything has been transforming business since probably, you know, 2003 to 2005. Mm -hmm. And some industries got on board quicker than others or sooner or rather than later. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at the sort of the, the, the graphs of revenues into newspapers, it mm -hmm. kept going up till about 2008 and then it goes down. And so I was just coming in at a point where um, it was still like running a newspaper was a licensed print money. And then right. um, first Google, then Facebook, actually first Craigslist, then Google, then Facebook started to eat the lunch of the newspapers and, and cause that decline. So 
Um, yeah, so I took that job in 2007, and 2009, I read this essay by Clay Shirky called Newspapers and Thinking the Unthinkable. And it's, I, I reread that essay once a year because <laughs> it just reminds me of how prescient he was about what was going to happen to the industry, um, that, that the business model was going, if not already gone, and that there was no going back and that what we had to do was reinvent something else. And so that was that kind of shook me to the core. And I was like thinking, like, how are we going to get out of this when it seems to me that everybody around me and certainly everybody above me is not perceiving the threat the way Shirky was and the way I was. And so I just kind of thought, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> what, we're, what we're worried about here is not what we should be worried about. It's this bigger stuff about the fact that the, the, the way you make money on the internet is not through scarcity of display ads, the, which is the way you used to make money in, in print newspapers. So, yes. mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I kind of stewed on that for a long time. At the same time, I was meeting a lot of the independent media makers in Edmonton, okay. um, bloggers and uh, a little bit of podcasters by then. There weren't very many in 2009. It's interesting though. Podcast, it's been amazing how long podcasting and blogging and those things have been around, but yet they keep having these weird like resurgences. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, 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 someone said to me like, oh, I think podcasts are kind of dying. I was like, well... I had like one of my, you know, a little bit slightly older friends say to me offside, go, Hey, you know, like, I really want to listen to your podcast, but I like, I don't know how to find it on my phone. Can you show me? Yeah. If there's still that level of adoption for someone in their fifties, it's got a lot of runway left to go. <laughs> it's going to change, but I, I still think there's a lot, but you're right. It's been around for a lot, for a long time, a lot longer than some people that are just discovering it in the last couple of years have re sometimes realized. Yeah. So, which means there's a lot of growth in the area, but it certainly was a little bit harder to get traction there. And yeah. I do think that just with podcasting, um, the means of both production and consumption are getting easier and easier, which is yeah. why it's going to keep growing. Um, yeah. So I, I was meeting these people and going to like unconferences with them and just thinking like, there's a bunch of people in my city who are so interested in city council that they just blog about it for free. Right. It's very interesting that there's people out there that are communicating and doing this work that I get paid for. Um, you know, in a way, <laughs> um, and what what motivates them, and how can we help each other? So that's when I I met Mac Mail, who is now my uh, business partner on Taproot, which we'll talk about. Oh, okay, eventually, awesome. yeah. Um, that's why I love stringing stories out because it's amazing they enter <laughs> like the how things intertwine over time. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and I've had to do a lot of reflection in the last little while about how everything comes together. Cause when you're in the middle of it, you don't notice. Right. No, you don't. And then I had to like, kind of write the, the history of Taproot for our new website. And I realized, you know, this, this seed was born in about 2008 or whenever I met him on Twitter and, and then, and then here we are, right? I that you also met, met online. I'm really just thinking about like you, you're in this industry, you're bought in, you've wanted to do it since you were 10 from writing your own little papers and doing that to all of a sudden you read this letter that basically says, Oh, by the way, the future that you bought into committed to signed up for 
it's going to be it's going to be done but that you looked around and no one else around you was taking that seriously like that's an interesting like that's definitely a turning point moment to say you know what i could just slip back to the easier path which arguably isn't easier but it feels that way at the moment but you decided to lean into it and that's not everybody does that it's an interesting to be able to go back and allocate a point in time when you read that that, uh, <laughs> that piece <laughs> yeah i i mean it was it, it shook me and and uh and yet it still took me two years to quit right because mm, okay. i kept thinking i can pr still pro i i know that i thought this thought many times i can do more on the inside than the outside i'm getting paid i can figure something out and and then finally eventually after lots of frustration and lots of tears by 2011 i just realized i can't i can't do what they want me to do and do what I think needs to be done at the same time. There's not enough time in the day and, and hours. So, um, yeah. So in 2011, I left the journal, um, on good terms. I still love those people. I still love that newsroom. Uh, barely know anybody there anymore, but I, but I still, it was a really important place for me, but I just said, I can't do this anymore. I got to figure something else out. And it was, Part of what made that such a hard decision was because my entire identity was journalist. And it, it really is that particular profession is a, is like a priesthood. It's a vocation. It's you, you're called to do it. You, it's not just a job. And I really didn't think like, what, who am I? What do I do if I can't call myself a journalist anymore? Uh, it took a long time to get over that. And, and I didn't do journalism for a while. And now I'm back in journalism th through Taproot. And it's, it's kind of feels weird to put that coat back on. Feels good, but it feels weird to put that coat back on. No, and it's such a, I think it's such an interesting commentary. Also, if you just take it up larger of so much of the transformation that's happening in Alberta and so many people were worked in oil and gas and that was their identity and they were mm -hmm. engineers. They did these things and I'm just comparing it to so many, so much disruption that's happening, but to hear you go through it and to talk about it on that personal level, but you're right. When you've got to give up that title, when you're on a plane and someone says, what do you do? And you're like, uh, uh, and you don't, <laughs> you don't have an answer. That's an interesting moment. <laughs> For sure. I always had a cool answer, right? If someone said, <laughs> what do you do? I always, i like, I say, I am a journalist. It, it, the people, you know, some people might say, okay, that's, evil or whatever there's some odd people out there but most people think it's cool and it's and if and then my answer after that for a while was well i teach at the, i teach journalism at McEwen and i do some consulting and i do some writing and blah, blah, blah. like it's not an interesting story because it's all like a whole bunch of mishmash stuff that i had to put together in order to keep living right um yeah. So it took a while to, and I, I, I would say that I was very naive about entrepreneurship when I left and journalists often are. Um, I think that we are sheltered from the business side of the business by design in, in journalism okay. because they don't want you to know where the, the, what the potential conflicts of interest might be or, or whatever. They, you count on other people on a completely different floor to make the money and then you cover the stuff. And it's, it's actually damaging 
to journalists <laughs> to, to, to be that. I was like, in one theory, to me, it kind of makes sense in terms of like, you know, almost be the artist and don't worry about that other stuff. But the whole picture is what allows you to probably do your job better. It, it, it does. Yeah. And I really just, I don't think ignorance is your best protection against doing the right thing. I think a, a strong moral compass should be your protection to make sure that you do the right thing. But, yes, but, that, but that as fair. a as a shorthand in the business as it was configured at that time and kind of still is um in in traditional mainstream journalism it's you just didn't know what where the money came from and, and so you didn't have to think about the fact that it's that you have to make money <laughs> in order yeah. to do yeah. this <laughs> so you know i had it, enough context it's, it's complicated is what i'm hearing you say yeah yeah so I had enough contacts that I could cobble together some money and 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 a, a, a career with consulting and teaching after that. But in 2015 is um, when I really felt like I I needed to be serious about entrepreneurship if I wanted to do this, and that I still wanted to do something in media because that's what I feel like I know how to do, and and I am still kind of called to do. Uh, so I, I workshopped that idea for for what became the Alberta Podcast Network in in 2015. In January of 2016, uh, were you in Calgary then? I was. Yeah, I've been yeah. in Calgary since 2000. So you make remember that um, the Journal, the Herald, um, the Ottawa newspaper, and the Vancouver newspaper they they uh, had a whole bunch of cuts. The the Sun yeah, I, papers were amalgamated into the what used to be the um, Southern newspapers, I guess, like the broadsheets and the tabloids were smashed together, and a whole bunch of journalists lost their job. And uh, that was kind of the moment at which Mac Mail, who I had been you know conspiring with in various different <laughs> projects before that. And I got together and said, like, we have to do something because we're eventually like, this is one more big step along, stop along the way to the disappearance of our local newspaper, right? right. Um, and so we started talking about Taproot and, or what became Taproot. And uh, in May of that year launched um, just a landing page saying Karen and Mac want to try something to build a new way to do local journalism and do you want to support us if so put your credit card number here and enough people gave us that validation to say okay let's let's start and that has grown into what i do now that's so you were running the you were running the alberta podcast network while you were getting taproot up and running well no i was trying to get funding for the alberta podcast network while yeah. <laughs> So this was a hard time, actually, because uh, I didn't know which idea was going to work. I didn't know if either idea was going to work. You're running them both in parallel. Yeah, but they both kind of came, like the opportunities kept coming up. So um, I started pitching for funding for the Alberta Podcast Network 18 months before I got it. And so... It was a long sales cycle reflective of my lack of experience at sales because I should have, yeah, I, I know now how to do that faster. But at that time, it was just like we're trying to sell an idea, not an actual thing, right? It's hard. So, it's, it, yeah, everyone buys into an idea, but they don't actually want to put their credit card down for the idea versus a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
that we I was thinking about this actually that so this was the last week of May in 2017 was maybe the one of the hardest weeks of my life because that week I had a major pitch meeting with ATB to try to sell them on Albert Podcast Network. Mac and I had this event at which we were soft launching Taproot. So I had to be on stage for this thing. And then we got the, the website that was ready to, to launch. And we were going to see if this would work. And my daughter was in the hospital getting back surgery because she had scoliosis. So she needed to have a, 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 a rod inserted in her back. And so I was like sleeping at the hospital and then going to these meetings <laughs> to make wow. this thing happen. <laughs> What a, what a week. Yeah, that was a hard week. <laughs> so let's start with the first question. How's your daughter? She's great. She's fine. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. And we know that the Alberta Podcast Network, that worked out. So did yeah. that was that the pitch meeting that landed ATB as, the, as, the, as basically the lead on that? It was the pitch meeting that led to the subsequent meetings like that, that led them to want to keep talking to me until we okay. closed the deal in May of... Yeah, so that was in 20... I, I misspoke. It was in 2016 and that led to the, the closing in May of 2017. Okay. And they are still they're still a partner of the Alberta Podcast Network. They've been on board ever since. Yeah, they so they started as the founding sponsor and now they're like one of our many sponsors. Like we've been able to to fly out on our own a little bit. That's awesome. That's yeah, I yeah, know that's a great success. And then you okay, so that same week <laughs> you, you you released Taproot to the world and let people know about it. Yeah. And how was the reception on that one? Well, it was good enough to make us want to keep going, right? Okay. Like we asked people like a membership to Taproot will be is a hundred bucks a year. So if you believe in us, um, here, <laughs> show it. <laughs> kind of like a crowdfunding almost. Like yeah, yeah. And that gave us like enough seed money that we could start playing paying freelancers to do stories and kind of develop the the idea for what Taproot would be. And and Taproot has changed a lot since then. Back then, we were we were publishing kind of long form features based on questions from our members. Mm -hmm. We still do long form features, but we are more of a newsletter company now. So we publish um, eight uh, weekly newsletters on different topics in Edmonton and are working on, uh, on, a, on a daily product as well. And then we have um, a bunch of, like we have like a lot of other stories and podcasts and everything else going on at tabredemonton.ca. And then we have a whole B2B side of that, which is newsletters that kind of do the same kind of curation and paying attention to the community, but for businesses and organizations, which okay. is the funding engine for Taproot. Karen, I have to ask you, you strike me as you must be a woman who loves deadlines. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very used to deadlines. Um, it's a little <laughs> bit dangerous, actually, because I, as a business owner yourself, you know that uh, there's important work and there's urgent work. And <laughs> yes. um, urgent work is always uh, so seductive and it has to be done, right? But if you spend all your time on urgent work, which is like deadline work, then you don't get that important stuff done. And mm -hmm. the important stuff is what you build a business on. Right. Yes. In in the business or on the business. I really like you brought that up. I haven't I haven't heard that one for a while, but it's it's one of those it's one of those corporate things that like or just life things. It never it never goes out of fashion because you're always there's always something on fire. 
Yes. But it doesn't necessarily, <laughs> putting out the fire keeps the house from burning down, but it doesn't necessarily build a better house for the future. And exactly. I really like the way you laid that out. Yeah. But yeah. when you just ate a week and like, yeah, just, I felt that I felt the anxiety start to rise in me just by thinking about the amount of deadlines that you need. <laughs> so do you have a, is it a full-time team or do you have, is it all freelancers? Like how just, I'm just really curious of how you made, how you've made the model work for you. So with Taproot, um, Max started working full-time uh, last January, January of 2019. And I started working full-time this uh, July. So okay. what has happened in 2020 is uh, I handed off the day-to-day operations of the podcast network to Fonda Mithrush. So she she runs it now. I still own it, but she runs it. And Taproot is what I do most of the time. I'm like there as a con- to consult with Fonda to help mm-hmm. solve problems or whatever. But Taproot is what I've done. It's my job since since July. And in September, we hired our first employee, uh, non-founder employee. So Emily Rendell Watts. Thank you. That felt like a huge milestone and also scary, absolutely, right? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> more, more mouths to feed. That's a very real thing. And it as is, a business yeah. owner, I completely empathize with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, Emily Randall Watson is our managing editor for Taproot Edmonton, and she's a, a journalist of great uh, talent and energy, and she has really helped us be able to bring this thing to, um, you know, cl- closer to our uh, vision for having a, a repeatable, um, reputable, amazing source of local stories. And do you find, you know, d- profiles of like understanding who your who your readers are like are these just people from all walks of life that share the common the common desire to want to be connected to their communities and know more about like again it's about what's relevant to me right and what's happening in my down the street from my house not necessarily the other side of the world those are two different streams that i would get that information from yeah i think that the the early adopters of taproot would be a pretty close overlap with um the shop local crowd, the love local, live local crowd, people that care about what's going on in their city. Um, we have our, our, our kind of flagship roundup newsletters where are about city council and tech. Um, mm-hmm. Those are particular expertises of, of Max. And so we have quite a good following along those lines. We have other you know, arts and business and media and other things going on as well. But um, yeah, that, that the profile of our readers right now is people who live, love local and care about kind of innovation in the future. And have you seen, I'm assuming you match, you know, uh, listenership or, or sorry, readership. H- have you had a fairly like, again, has COVID or the last year even for, you know, just, I, sorry, I can't, I don't want to put the COVID filter on everything, but it's very <laughs> real. It's like, you know, what about COVID? Uh, have you seen a steady rise in your, in your, in your, subscri- sorry, how do you refer to them? Are they subscribers, readers? We call them members. So members, okay. I knew there was a word. I just didn't know what yeah. it was. <laughs> I think we we have had a steady increase in members. I think that what's interesting and exciting about Taproot is we have actually three revenue streams, which is makes me feel more comfortable about the future because having a diversified group, you know, play, set of places where your money comes from gives you a lot more stability. So uh, we ha- we sell memberships. It's not a paywall thing. So you can if you become a member of Taproot you're really 
it, it's kind of like the way people support public radio. You can still get it, but you're like, we're enlisting you to help us on the mission. Um, there will be, there are some perks for, for being members. There will be more perks in the future, but basically that's, that's what that is. Um, we sell uh, advertising and sponsorship in our newsletters. Uh, we don't, it's not display advertising the way it usually is on the internet. It's not programmatic or sort of mm-hmm. hooked into the surveillance economy. <laughs> but we have that, that ability for, for businesses to get involved by being sponsors of the various yeah. things that we do. And then we have this B2B business that I spoke about before, where we use the, the same tools, methodology, technology that we use to efficiently curate what's going on on a topic. Mm-hmm. And we, we sell that, avail- that, that, that ability to businesses and organizations that would want that themselves. And that's what we, um, that, that's the innovation that we think is interesting because most journalism outfits they really think, well, all we can do to bring in money is either sell access to our news or sell the eyeballs of the people who are looking at the news. And um, we just we don't think either of those ways is sufficient. And the incentives that are built into relying solely on either of those ways are dangerous. So um, we have this other way of bringing in money. It brings in more money than those other things, than those two things. And um, it still helps us, you know, um, create like a stable business that can fund the journalism side of things. Well, I I love how you've rethought, like, you know, the concept of journalism reporting local and that that grassroots approach, but rethinking the revenue model in a way so it it can actually support, like, develop tools that are going to help you be better at the journalist side, but then also add a different value story to another customer group being the B2B audience in a a different way versus the buy ad space model, or like you said, sell attention, sell eyeballs. Yeah, I, I mean, I hope that's this is this is our hypothesis. It's borne out so far. So actually, your question was, how's COVID affected things? Membership mm-hmm. is is doing is steadily growing. Sponsorship has not gone down, but you know, people's advertising ad spends are yeah. are, are low. Um, the kinds of customers that we have for that B two B side are uh, they still have money and they still have need, and so we have increased our business on that side. That's great to hear. There's been it's been a challenging time, but there are so many success stories, and success can be mean a variety of different things over the last kind of ten months. But mm-hmm. I do choose to focus as much as I can on the things that are working out and going better during these what are crazy times. And you never want to minimize it, but at the same time, it's pushed us forward to do things differently, to innovate, to look at the world around us differently. And to me, there's a lot of benefits that can come out of that. Yeah, I think so, that's right. Mm-hmm. So one other thing I do want to bring up as well, you were named a She Innovator last year. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's really super cool. <laughs> uh, it was really nice. I didn't know that Mac had nominated me for this. And so I was surprised to get this uh, thing in my inbox to say that um, that I would be part of this first cohort. So She Innovates Alberta is the first cohort of the She Innovators program, which came out of the UN. Uh, it was brought here to Alberta by uh, Don DeLima and 
somebody else whose name I'm forgetting, <laughs> but hopefully you can fill it in in the show notes. Uh, that's terrible. And he was brought to Alberta by some really high-powered uh, women who wanted to create a community of innovative women and who are and recognize what they were doing to invent new things. And so uh, there's a lot of um, really inspiring people <laughs> who are involved in this thing and that it's a, I've got it's a to very know. it's a very impressive group of people yeah and so and it feels nice to to be included on them I, I mean I always think I haven't succeeded yet just hold off on the honors until we actually <laughs> do the thing that we are set out to do but I guess you you don't actually it's it's a journey. It's not a destination. <laughs> no, and that's also why um, other people get to nominate you because maybe they believe you deserve a little bit more credit than you're willing to give yourself. But that's another story. That's yeah. <laughs> very real. No, I had the um, I had the privilege of interviewing Jennifer Curry on uh, right. on Collisions YYC right before uh, you guys had the. I think you had a virtual conference back in the fall. That's right. And yeah. I, I also know Shannon Peston. I had her on the show. Yeah. So really interesting group 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 of ladies. And when I saw you on there, I was like, oh great! I always feel honored. <laughs> I look and you go, oh, I know this person. I know that person. One thing I do love about Alberta, it, it is the quintessential big small town that we do. We all get to share. It is. And and people are very accessible. You you really can just call someone up and say, hey, would you be on my podcast? Or, hey, can I talk to you about this problem I'm having? And people will mostly say yes. I absolutely, I agree with you. And I think it is one of our superpowers, the ability to get access to people and people's mm -hmm. willingness to help each other. Like I, I joke about the podcast. There's literally hardly anyone who's ever said no. I can literally, I just keep trying to get more who I would think are hard to get guests. And they're like, oh yeah, no. Oh yeah, I looked at you. Yeah, no, come on. It's just kind of amazes me. And I think I've experienced the same thing talking to I, and my other on collisions. I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs, tech startups, at all different ages, ranges, and, and cycles in their life. And they all say, like, once you like kind of get out of your own way, so many people come out of the woodwork to help you. And that's yes. a very, I grew up back East and I, I love it. Montreal, Toronto, really good communities, but you tend to be insulated inside your group. And if you're outside of that, it's a little harder unless you know the right person to pull the right strings. Or Alberta just doesn't work that way. And I, I do think it's something that should be celebrated over and over again. I agree with you. Yeah. It makes it it makes it a really fun place to live because everybody's pretty nice. Even though you and I just met <laughs> randomly, I think I think someone that we both knew maybe introduced us. Well, that's the Alberta way. I don't even remember who yeah, it was. I know. We ended up having a chat, and here we are, like you know, a year and a half later, uh, being able to celebrate some of the cool things that you're doing, which I think is like you know, congratulations. You know, I, I think it's you 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 know your story when you think back, it's so easy, and that's the whole point of the show to look at someone and go, oh, you're so lucky, Karen. You created Taproot, and you've got this podcast that we're, and you're like, oh, okay, listen, don't even talk to me about lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even talk to me about that. Busted my ass to figure this out and went through a lot of hard times to get to the other side. And it's fun to unpack real stories about real people because real people, real life is messy. Yeah. Yeah. Very messy. <laughs> yeah, incredibly so. So any advice for, from your perspective of anyone who's listening to the show that, you know, maybe it's not journalism, it could be anything. It could be their career, any path that they, they, they kind of went all in on that now somehow because of the world we live in has changed. Any thoughts or any words of advice that you would share if you look back that maybe back in 08, 09, someone maybe would have said to you and you would have been like, oh, you know, one of those teary days would have been maybe less teary. <laughs> <laughs> I think that... 
The thing that's resonating when you ask me that is I I always think of this commencement address that Robert Krulwich gave in around that time. I I read this around that time as well. And he speaks in it. I'll send it to you, Tyler, in case you want to put it in the show notes. Yeah, we absolutely will. Yeah. What he speaks about in, in um, in this commencement address is the concept of horizontal loyalty, that you should not be loyal to your company or your employer or your boss because it can't, it probably can't be loyal to you. What you want to do is build those horizontal ties to the people that you're going to build the next thing with. And, and like you said, Alberta is particularly well suited to to allow that kind of thing that we can have collaborations among all kinds of people that barely know each other at the, at first and then figure out how to how to build that level of trust and and um kind of uh mesh together each other's talents it's not saying to be disloyal to your company but to understand mm-hmm. that you're if to do what you want to do you don't need permission you need uh drive and the right people to help you do the thing that you want to do and and where to look for that? And I like I like the horizontal concept. That's, I've never I've honestly, I've never heard that before. Mm-hmm. It makes sense when you say it out loud. I've just never heard it so eloquently said. Yeah, and he said he said it. In, he says it so much more eloquently than I just did. Mm-hmm. But he he said it in the context of because um, he was speaking to journalism students. But it's very applicable to anybody. And he's just saying like don't ha- like hang your hopes on like getting the big job at the big place and and staying there forever because that's not how it is right now. And you might have to make your own thing. And and he said this like long before the the collapse was as compl- as uh, enormous as it is right now. And I do think that, that this work is important. It's important that we inform people about their community and that we connect people uh, and and do all the other things that uh, that local media do. And um, we can't just rely on the old ways to do it. We have to find new ways to do it. So, yeah. And that's solid advice that you can apply that to literally any career or any part of the world that you're in right now that happens to be being disrupted, which like, be honest, is the majority, like there isn't many things that are being disrupted. And if they haven't yet, stay tuned. They probably will be soon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And especially in Alberta, we, we, we are going to have to adjust to a lot of new realities. There is wishing and hoping doesn't get what used to be back. And, um, and we can, we, we can, we have like so many more advantages than many other places in the world to be able to do that. The first hurdle is to uh, accept that we must, I think. Yes. Failure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Accept, accept, what is it? Change what you can and accept what you can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a whole saying that I'm not even going to try. To <laughs> I already, I've already butchered it. Karen, it was wonderful chatting with you. And, you know, again, having the privilege to, to kind of meet you again a year and a half later and to learn your story. And it's one of the other reasons I, I you know, I do the show. You meet someone, you think, oh yeah, I kind of know their story. Then you sit and really talk to someone, which is also, you know, my, my, my rally against the world of sound bites. Take the time, <laughs> learn, understand. Trust me, it's whatever you you care about. It's worth more than ten seconds of your time to go. Yep, that's what it is. Yeah. Maybe dig it a little bit deeper. And the, these 
these conversations let me do that. So what, hey, let's let's not leave this uh, unmentioned. What is the best way for people? So taprootpublishing.ca, I've got it on my website right now or on my browser. What are all the best ways for people to get a hold of you and check out what you're doing? Uh, so taprootpublishing.ca is where you can kind of see our B2B side. If you have a business or organization that would benefit from uh, someone to help you pay attention to people and reflect that back to them and get in touch. For the journalism side of things, go to taprootedmonton.ca and you'll see kind of what we're doing to cover Edmonton um, in our way and and to inform the community here. Probably the best way to follow what I'm doing is either find me on LinkedIn, Karen Unland, U-N-L-A-N-D, or on Twitter. And that's my handle as well, Karen Unland. That's awesome. Hey, got to ask. Do I, am I going to see a Taproot Calgary in the future? Or what's what's? I think that. Happened <laughs> <laughs> you on the spot, Karen. Yeah, the, I'll, 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 I would say that if we can solve this problem in Edmonton, we can solve it in. We, we would like to be able to solve it in every city that is losing its That's local awesome. media, and uh, Calgary's pretty close to here, so it would make sense. Uh, there's a lot of interesting things happening in Calgary on the local media side of things, uh, or in, in, in the media innovation side of things with the sprawl and live wire and stuff like that. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what the market wants, but uh, we think we have the potential to, to spread elsewhere. That's awesome. I'm glad you called out the sprawl. I think Jeremy Klausis, and if you haven't checked out the sprawl, go check it out. He has a really great approach. And I, I had him on the show back, I think, I don't even remember, <laughs> probably a year ago now yeah. uh, before, before COVID. And just to, again, it's one of those things and uh, that if you don't know about it, it's not there. But the second you do, you realize that there's this whole, this whole effort and energy to deliver journalism differently. So kudos to what the work you're doing in Edmonton. And thank you for sharing your story. It was really great. I really, I really enjoyed hearing the, the journey, the journey behind the Karen Unlimited. <laughs> Well, thanks for your curiosity and your openness and you're willing to, to have me on. My absolute pleasure. It was great chatting with you. Thank you, Karen. Thanks. Thanks.